Rescue turns to recovery in Kentucky, where entire towns have now been wiped off the map following that deadly tornado outbreak this weekend. Why the January 6th investigation is so important to pay attention to ahead of 2024. And if you hold an award show and nobody cares, did it even happen? Tuesday Need to Know, <laughs> let's go. Tuesday, everybody. This is Cheddar's Need to Know podcast for December 14th. I'm Carlo Versano here, as always, with Baker. Much yes. Baker. They won in only on this National Monkey Day, National Bouillabaisse Day. I think that's how you pronounce it. <laughs> uh, happy Tuesday, Carlo. How are you feeling today? You know, I'm uh, I'm feeling, I'm feeling, I'm feeling, Baker. Feeling no, I'm like okay. what? I'm like okay. hungover? Like what? Did you have a rough <laughs> night last night? Like, you know, Franny just, uh, she, it's, it's, she sleeps through, and then she doesn't sleep and then it's just this Ooh, like brutal. the thing they don't tell you the thing they don't tell you about parenthood is it doesn't go on this like straight line right, right. where every day is like a little bit easier you have these like weeks that are easier and then you have these weeks that are harder it's just um that's like the i guess if there's one piece of advice i have for for new parents it's understanding that ahead of the game it's not a straight line it is this really bumpy bumpy line and event it goes up Things get better, they get easier, but it's not uh, it's not as smooth as they well, make it out to be in the movie. on top of all of that, I would I would think you know like all children are not the exact same. So somebody else's experiences with their kids. Yes. Like my mom said all the time, I was always like sleeping twenty four seven. I was an easy kid to yeah. raise. My sister, on the other hand, sounds like she's like Franny, never sleeping whatsoever, and just drives you crazy. So it's kind of hard to prepare when each kid is sort of different here. Yeah, no, exactly. And I mean, they you hear these stories about people who have these like perfect angel children, these babies who like sleep in the car seat and they sleep through the night oh, yeah. at, at three months. I'm like, me. do these babies, do these people exist? Do, they, yeah. do these babies I'm actually right exist? Right here. I'm right here. And then they become, you know, national broadcasters, and, you know, and, <laughs> and, and great civic members of society as a result. Yes. Uh, it's all good though. It's all yes. good. She's doing. She's 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 healthy and thriving. And, that's and you all know that what? One of the cutest babies I've ever seen, Carla. She at least no, still has you. that she going is. for her as well. Uh, so <laughs> Carla, Carla, we have so much to dive into on this Tuesday. So let's start first with what's uh, the continuing story that's happening in the Midwest. President Biden going to travel to Kentucky tomorrow. He's going to survey the damage from the weekend's tornado outbreak. Now among the deadliest in U.S. history, the confirmed death toll from those twisters uh, now stands at 88 across five states, and that includes 74 in Kentucky. The victims range in age from five months to 86 years old and includes a district judge, an Amazon warehouse dispatcher, and a corrections officer who died leading inmates to safety. Uh, I read in the New York Times this morning, Carlo, one street in Bowling Green in Kentucky yeah. in particular, 11 of the 15 people that were on that street uh, died in this in this tornado. Just so heartbreaking as we learn more by the hour on this. That's the scariest thing about tornadoes, having um, you know been on the ground covering tornadoes after they've happened, is that you know one street can be completely, literally wiped off the face of the earth, yeah. and the street next to it is totally fine. It looks like nothing happened. It's it's so devastating. Uh, it's you know so much different from any other sort of extreme weather event that we have to deal with. Um, this this story I wanted to make a note of NBC News reporting this morning that the employees at that candle factory in the town of Mayfield were told by their supervisors that they'd be fired if they left after they heard those first tornado oh. sirens there was uh, there was this three or four hour window between the first threat which passed and then the second threat which actually 
spawned the tornado that leveled that factory. That's the one that wiped out most of that that town. Um, the nearby town of Dawson Springs, Kentucky, com- almost gone. 75% of the town, just not even there oh. anymore. So truly heartbreaking stuff. And by the way, we know um, uh, the state of Illinois said that they're investigating the collapse of that Amazon delivery depot. Mm-hmm. Um, the governor there said at a news conference that the state investigation into whether that building was constructed, uh, if it basically uh, if it basically violated the codes of the building, they're basically mm-hmm. going to look into more of Amazon's safe, uh, safety procedures and all of this. The other big question, and this is what we see with um, all these severe weather incidents all across the world, is did climate change play a role in this. We know when we see the droughts, the heat waves, the fires, all that stuff, obviously that is correlated to climate change. But do tornadoes correlate to climate change? The New York Times reporting this morning that senior researchers over at the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration say they don't know. They still don't know tornadoes basically are part of of the climate change that we're seeing. Uh, uh, We know Severe tornadoes are incredibly rare in December, but it's not incredibly unprecedented. The New York Times says similar destructive storms have hit parts of the United States in December back in 2000, 2015, 2018, and 2019. So something still scientists are researching to this day uh, if those are basically correlated together. I mean, it's hard, you know, it's always hard on these things. You can't be like, oh, this tornado happened because of, you know, this level of climate, like uh, carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. But no, all of the, I mean, it doesn't take a gene. All you got to do is walk outside, you know, seven degrees in December, New oh, York. Oh, right it's, now, uh, here in New York, it's crazy. Uh, I mean, all, they all, it, it just, just taken together, it's pretty clear that, you know, we are in the middle of this climate emergency and things are going to get worse uh, before they get better. And we're going to see more, more, um, extreme weather events that are out of the ordinary like this. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy to think. I was complaining a few weeks ago. I had to bring out the long underwear. They quickly went back into my closet uh, because we are experiencing mid to high 50s in the month of December here in New York, which is uh, very unprecedented. Uh, Winter basically of- doesn't exist in the in the Northeast anymore. I don't know if anyone else no, has noticed I that. No, I mean, at like, least not now. Yeah, it used to be like I remember growing up. It's like you would have like you know there would be like seven or eight like significant snowstorms a winter. Mm-hmm. Now it's like maybe maybe you get one, right? I, I know. know. And as somebody who hates the snow, who enjoyed his time living in sunny yeah. Southern California for a long time, I I appreciate this, but also I know it's not good for the planet at the end of the day. Right. Uh, uh, speaking of unprecedented, let's talk about what happened yesterday in Washington. The House committee that is tasked with investigating the Capitol riot voted unanimously nine to nothing. Uh, to recommend former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows be held in contempt for refusing to comply with his subpoena. Now, Meadows, now the third former Trump official to face contempt charges for not cooperating with that panel. But this is where things got crazy, Carlo. In the hearing last night, Representative Liz Cheney read aloud text messages sent to Mark Meadows from Republican lawmakers, Fox News hosts, and even Donald Trump Jr., all in the midst of the riot as it was ongoing on January the 6th, pleading with Mark Meadows to get President Trump to send those rioters home in those text messages, which is incredible. It, it, it spawned from Laura Ingram to Brian mm-hmm. Kilmeade, who hosts, co-hosts Fox and Friends, uh, to even Sean Hannity. Um, Laura Ingram in the text message to Mark Meadows says, Mark, the president needs to tell the people at the Capitol to go home. This is hurting all of us. He's destroying his legacy. Brian Kilmeade's text message to Mark Meadows said, please get Donald Trump on TV. He's destroying everything he has accomplished. Sean Hannity texted, can Donald Trump make 
make a statement, ask people to leave the Capitol. But we also know those were the texts they sent in the day. Their programs later that yep. evening, especially Laura Ingram, was blaming the, what was happening on January 6th on Antifa, everything else. So really sort of this parallel universe, it seems like, that she yep. is leading and these Fox hosts are from what they were sending Mark Meadows just a few hours earlier. Yeah, I mean, that's what struck struck me, right? They were these were the same people who were straight up just lying to their viewers, trying to spin this a few hours after it happened. Uh, and as Maggie Haberman of The New York Times noted, uh, these texts really what they do is they undercut everybody who said in the aftermath of January 6th that, hey, this wasn't that bad, right? This was something that the media was overhyping. Um, you know, this wasn't really this wasn't this huge, uh, this huge deal. Um, they knew at the time that this was a disaster and that it was Donald Trump's fault. Um, you know, the thing about January 6th is it's one of those few events that actually gets worse the more that comes out about it, right? Usually usually what happens in these stories is the more that comes out, you're like, sort of like the Russia investigation, right? You're like, okay, it was, you know, we thought it was one thing, it ends up being another thing. This is the opposite. This is like the more that we find out, the more you're just like, I, that was, how close did we come to like a real major, you know, end of democracy moment there? Um, but it's important, it's important to pay attention to this, not really even because of January 6th, right? It's not, you know, they're doing this big investigation, but it, uh, we pretty much know what happened, right? I mean, you, you know, we, Donald Trump was out there on the, on Lafayette Square before this telling people to march to the Capitol. Like, it's not like it's a big mystery where those people came from or why they were doing that, but it's important because of what could come next, right? January 6th was in a lot of ways practically. Practice. And I'm not the first person to make that uh, that statement. Um, you know, the GOP is in a much better position now to potentially subvert an election than it was last year, just given that they are installing all of these, you know, sort of like hacks at the state level, which, of course, is where right. elections are decided. And, you know, the, the party is sort of quietly building this apparatus that could indeed overturn a free and fair election next time around. Look, I mean, when this news broke yesterday, Sean Hannity actually even had Mark Meadows on his show. Didn't even ask him any questions about any of this, but the way he sort of set up the interview with Mark Meadows was basically saying this 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 corrupt um, panel that already we knew was going to basically vote against the president, you know, and in terms of their investigation. So they're basically already sort of spinning that whatever happens in this investigation is going to be against the president. And if you're an institutionalist like me, if you are, mm. are a fan of American history like me, um, this this is worse than Watergate. Like this is this is awful because you remember sort of the messages and the communication that you saw during the the Nixon years. I mean, if you would if, take politics out of this, if you have administration officials with a in, with that are hap where you have um, a riot happening on the Capitol and you have text messages going to the chief of staff of the president of the United States telling him to tone down the rhetoric to get the people to leave, but yet he's not doing it. Like that is a very very big deal in the context of American yeah. history here. Look, I think, you know, the only reason that we didn't really lurch into a full-fledged constitutional emergency last year during in that period between the election and inauguration was because most Republican state officials didn't go along with those plans to overturn the election right. that were sort of like haphazardly being drafted by Trump's people, people like Giuliani, Sidney Powell, and the rest of that sort of clown show. But the next time, it, you know, it's much less certain that there will be people like the Republican Georgia Secretary of State in Georgia, Brad Raffensperger, oh, yeah, he's who actually primary. stand up. 
Right. He's getting he, won't be, he won't be there by then. You know, there aren't going to be people to stand up to these shenanigans. So let's just let's just do the doomsday scenario here. Right. If Republicans take the House next year, uh, which they probably will, Kevin McCarthy, a Trump stooge, if ever there was one, will probably become the speaker during the 2024 election. So he's going to have a lot of power in the certification of the state results. Now, if you believe that Trump runs in 20, 2024, which I still I think that's an unknown. I think that I still don't. That everybody thinks that he definitely is. I think that he I think it's less of a Thing. John Kelly but says he's just, not. John Kelly says he's not because yeah. he can't. He can't lose. He can't lose a second time. Well, so that brings me to my next point, right? So he, if he runs, he gets the GOP nomination easily, um, and I don't think it even matters who the Democrat is on the ticket: Biden, Kamala Harris, Pete Buttigieg, who, me, whoever. Whatever happens on election night, you know, Trump will say that he won. So if it's not even close, okay, thank God we dodged a bullet yet again. But if it's even remotely close. We are in deep, deep, you know what, right? Of the 10 Republicans who voted to impeach him over the January 6th riot, all of them are going to be gone by 2024. Two already are. The purge is already underway. Um, the states are changing their election laws as we speak. Uh, there's Of the 15 Republicans running for the secretary of state in battleground states like Georgia, only two of them concede that Joe Biden fairly won the election. Two-thirds of Republicans in polls believe that the last election was outright stolen, right? So these are going to be the people who are demanding action next time if it's a close race. And I don't want to overhype this, but it is worthy of some amount of hype here. Um, and it's scary, right? And the, to, be, to me, Baker, the last thing I'll say on this is – you know, the, the great irony of the whole thing is that if Trump just accepted that he lost the election, if he and he just went out and he was like, OK, look, I lost. It was a pandemic. You know, I would have won if it weren't for covid. The mail in votes probably killed me. I'm, I'll concede Joe Biden. Good luck to you. But the next day I'm going to announce that I'm running again. Right. So he's able to start raising money. Mm -hmm. He becomes the he clears the field immediately. He would have been in a much more powerful position than he is now. That's all he had to do. Maybe, but that sort of goes against sort of the ethos of who Trump is. You never well, course, admit mistakes. Yes, you right. never basically admit defeat. That's sort of against everything he's sort of been in his career. Uh, and, and one last note I would say about this, Brad Raffensperger and Liz Cheney, you can't get more conservative, traditional Republicans than right. those two. But just the fact that both of them did not uh, subscribe to the notion that the election was stolen, both of them likely are losing their jobs as a result of yeah. that, which is just incredible to think how long uh, they have both been in the conservative party. Right. And well, also go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I mean, that's why this is important, because, you know, Liz Cheney being sort of the head of this committee is important because it makes it impossible for people to be like, oh, this is just some sort of like Democratic hit job against Trump. Well, no, Liz, I mean, Liz Cheney is the daughter of Dick Cheney. Right. Like she doesn't get you don't get more Republican than that. Yeah, good point. All right, let's switch gears and let's talk about COVID here. The U.S. now crossing several pandemic milestones all at once, Carlo. There have now been at least 50 million confirmed COVID cases in the country and now 800,000 confirmed deaths. The first vaccine started shipping out exactly a year ago and 60% of eligible Americans are fully vaccinated. About 300,000 of the country's deaths occurred well after the vaccine rollout. The virus has killed one out of every 415 Americans and one out of 100 over the age of 65. Uh, Carlo, a lot of people paying attention to what's happening in Denmark and the UK in particular. Um, Danish numbers are really sort of getting a little bit concerning regarding the Omicron variant, not so much the case of people that are hospitalized or dying. But some of the information from uh, from Danish data is basically saying out of 43 documented cases, 34 or about 79% of the people catching COVID 
where people who were fully vaccinated, which just continues to show we are likely going to see, especially if you've only received two doses, mm -hmm. not the booster shot, the likelihood of more breakthrough cases because of Omicron. However, again, I need to couch this by saying the likelihood of death and hospitalization is still incredibly low, but still the case, the case numbers are likely to continue to trickle up. Yeah. Right now, we are averaging about 120,000 um, cases per day. That is up 50% now over the course of the last two weeks. Yeah, the, the case numbers I try not to pay too much attention to because I think I, I don't even really know what they show anymore, uh, given the vaccines. I, I just want to go back to one one statistic that you just noted there. This was on the front page of The New York Times yesterday. One out of 100 of Americans over the age of 65 have died. It's just a reminder. So sad. It's a reminder of how, you know, people like to say, like, oh, this virus is, um, you know, it doesn't. It, it doesn't spare you. Well, no, I mean, this is a virus that is specifically really bad for older people. And it's just obviously worth remembering uh, what a toll it's taken on um, elderly Americans. They have been the ones who have borne the brunt of this since the beginning. Uh, it's just like, do you remember early on in the pandemic when Trump did that press conference with, I think it was Fauci, Burks, and the rest of his, um, his, his like top health officials? And they basically said, like, if we don't get our act together, the United States could see something like 200,000 deaths. And I remember thinking, I remember even saying on the podcast with Jill, like, holy crap, that sounds like unimaginable, 200,000 deaths from this? Now we're at four times that, and we're going to hit probably a million next, sometime next year before all is said and done. Uh, uh, it's just amazing how you sort of like the things that you can expect and you can deal with change as the conditions change, I guess. Um, one last thing I'll, I'll, I'll mention, and uh, I don't know if you saw this, Scott Gottlieb, the former FDA honcho, was on CNBC yesterday. He said something about travel uh, that struck me. I'm going to quote from him here. Uh, the reason I'm not traveling overseas isn't necessarily I think that their risk is any higher than it is here, but I don't want to get stuck in a policy change or quarantine in another country, end quote. Yeah. Um, and I thought I just I know made a note of that because we just booked to this trip to Turks and Caicos in January. Um, and I'm already starting to wonder if that was a bad idea, frankly. Oh, yeah, no, it's such a good point, especially because every country has such different policies, Canada, Mexico, all that yeah. stuff, especially when it comes to COVID and then getting back into the United States, the quarantine policies and all of that. Uh, yeah, just it just startling. Uh, meanwhile, Carlo, it could soon be a little bit easier for you to navigate the federal bureaucracy. President Biden signed an executive order that is meant to improve the customer service infrastructure that underlays 17 different government agencies, which will have the effect of simplifying processes like filing your taxes or claiming Social Security benefits. According to the White House, the order will direct government offices to account for the experiences of the public by making several dozen changes just to how they operate here. Oh, imagine that. Customer service comes to the federal government, <laughs> baby. Uh, uh, chief among those changes, uh, it's going to finally be possible to renew your passport online. Hallelujah. Yes, yes. Thank you, Uncle Joe, baby. That's Thank what I like you. to see. Anything that, you know, anything that makes the process of interfacing with the federal government less soul crushing, uh, sign, sign me up. I'm all in favor of. Um, and, you know, this is the kind of thing. This is a story that it, it got no media attention because it's kind of boring, you know, executive orders about the infrastructure of the government services administration. Um, but this is the kind of thing that the government's there for. This is the kind of thing right. that the federal government's doing more of, right? Alleviating the so-called time tax, this weird thing that is very specific to this country where a lot of the federal bureaucracy is essentially left to us, average citizens, to figure out how to manage, right? Why do we, I mean, I've said this so many times, like I've lost count, like why do we file our own taxes in America, right? Other countries, you don't have to do that. They, they, they know 
what you owe, right? Uh, why can't our passports or driver's license be automatically renewed? They have all that information in the database. Just send us a new passport when it's time, right? Don't even get me started on having to navigate the health exchanges. If you uh, are on Obamacare, that'll take up weeks of your life. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, if my house gets hit by a tornado, why do I have to prove it to get federal aid, right? The government should know that I'm do that I'm entitled to that aid without me having to like go to the website to upload photos of my destroyed garage or whatever. Um, you know, all of this stuff could be automated if the government wanted it to be, and this is a step in that, in that direction. And I think it's important to to note. It, it just continues to show how the federal government, or many governments, not even just federal government, we're talking even state and local government, has technologically been behind the curve. Um, the yep. burdensome sort of challenges that we as, as, as the public have had to go through from the DMV to others continues to be a burdensome thing, for, which is why a lot of us hate going to the DMV or going right. to get our passport renewed. So the fact that like that process was not simplified, expedited, um, and made easier for a lot of people has always been a, a, a completely confounding mystery to me. So I, uh, yes, I'm with you. What? I think this is fantastic news here. And the reason why it's politically smart is that's how people actually interface with the government, yes, right? True. It's the DMV Such and the point. passport office. And when people have a terrible experiences there, that's what makes them think like, oh, why do I even bother voting, right? Why do I even Such bother participating in democracy? Because it, these people can't even do anything, right? So th if you make that a little bit easier for people, it's politically smart. The Hollywood Foreign Press Association announced the nominations for the 79th Golden Globes yesterday, despite the award show being canceled by NBC. That is in response to a series of scandals that has tarnished the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. Now, The Power of the Dog and Belfast led the film nominations with seven nods apiece. HBO Succession, which no spoilers here because I have to still watch the season finale that oh, just good. aired, uh, led the TV side five nominations, followed by Apple's Ted Lasso and The Morning Show with four nominations each. The glow is going to be handed down in some form or another on January the 9th, though it's still not clear what that will be. I saw an interview yesterday with the president of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. Because it's not being broadcast on NBC and nobody really knows like how the award show is going to be. And by the way, I'm saying this as somebody who has been to multiple Golden Globes. Um, there's not going to be a red carpet this year. There's basically they're expecting very, very, very little celebrities to be there because a lot of the publicists had warned the Hollywood Foreign Press that they were not going to allow their clients to be there because of all of the racial um, and diversity issues that were plaguing um, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. So who even knows what the Globes will look like? You're obviously not going to have the roasts like we were accustomed to of, of Ricky Gervais or Tina Fey and Amy yeah. Poehler like we saw in the past. But either way, this is this is always sort of a template also, though, for what potentially you might see for the Oscars and the Emmys down the road. It's, it's kind of a shame. The Golden Globes are probably the best of the you know movie award shows, I think. Um, I don't, what exactly did the HFPA do again? I know the LA Times reported so, that, that they operated basically as like a slush fund for foreign reporters to go on film yeah. junkets yes, and see, um, meet celebrities. But like, yes, well, and, and, and yes, and, and like Emily in Paris was one of the shows in particular that was really wrangled in this. Also, the, the, the voting members of the Hollywood Foreign Press mostly white, mostly male. Um, they've had an issue where you're not seeing a lot of shows and films uh, of diverse cast being nominated as a result of that. Uh, I had a, a reporter from Entertainment Weekly on uh, Between Bells yesterday, and he told me yesterday that the Hollywood Forum Press has added maybe about 20 new members um, from a range of different backgrounds and, and ethnic backgrounds, but that's still, at the end of the day, I think that's less than 30% of their voting members are people of color. Uh, so still 
an issue that has to be worked on here, but this has been an issue with the Grammys. Uh, you've had uh, you, artists like The Weeknd saying that the committees that are getting the nominations are not are not are not favoring people of color. You're having issues mm -hmm. with the the Oscars. Remember a few years ago, we had the hashtag Oscars so white, where most of the voting members of the Academy also white, mostly male cisgender males. Um, so this has been an issue that has plagued Hollywood forever. This is not just sort of. Golden Globes and Hollywood Foreign Press centric, right. but other organizations like the Academy of Motion Pictures of Arts and Sciences for the Oscars have taken yeah. huge sort of changes to the organization in terms of the amount of people that they're adding to the voting ranks here uh, that are people of color. Uh, okay, well, on that note, we are going long as always, so let's do some quick more to know <laughs> yes. before we go, Baker. All right, meanwhile, hundreds of female gymnasts who were sexually abused by Larry Nassar have now reached a $380 million settlement with USA Gymnastics and the U.S. Olympic Committee. Now, those funds will compensate about 500 women, including well-known athletes like Simone Biles, Allie Raisman, and Michaela Maroney, who are all victims of the former team Dr. Carlo story is uh, finally over, essentially, with this settlement. Uh, also, in case you missed it, this happened yesterday morning just af off after uh, we got off the air here. Uh, Time Magazine announced Elon Musk as its 2021 Person of the Year. Magazine calling him a visionary, showman, iconoclast, and troll. This choice was, I guess, somewhat controversial, at least judging by the conversation on Twitter, because this is one of my pet peeves. Uh, people still don't seem to understand that person of the year, to the extent that it's even relevant at all, which it isn't, is supposed to acknowledge the most influential person of the year, not necessarily like the best or the most honorable. Case in point, of course, Adolf Hitler was time yes. person of the year in 1938. Hell, I was time person of the year in 2006, yes, and so were you. Yes, that was the yes, year that we they, were. I'm glad you remembered that. Yeah. We shared so, that title, exactly. and I, I had um, I had an editor of Time Magazine on uh, Between Bells yesterday talking about this. He said, "Look, just because they get this uh, this this title does not mean that they're good or bad. It's just that they are in, in fact influential." Meanwhile, California will reimpose a universal mask mandate for all indoor settings tomorrow, regardless of your vaccine status. The order will be in effect for a month unless it's extended, and that comes on the heels of the vaccine or the mask mandate that is happening here in New York State as well. Here, Carlo. I just had to buy a new box of disposable masks. I thought I was done with that, uh, but I, we never will be. The nope. masks will be on forever, folks. Okay, and finally, organizers of the Paris 2024 Summer Olympics have unveiled the venue for the opening ceremony, the River Seine. It's a first-of-its-kind plan. The ceremony is going to ditch the usual stadium location, and it's instead going to happen around that famed river that cuts through the heart of Paris, open and free to the public. It's going to be really cool, actually. The Parade of Nations is going to take place on boats, and the closing ceremony will be held at the gardens surrounding the Eiffel Tower. Uh, so, you know, coming after the Tokyo 2020 basically being, you know, cut off from spectators, Paris going all in on trying to make this really accessible and inclusive Olympics, and could be really cool, right? The River Seine, a, um, a very important place to me personally. Um, about, oh God, five, six years ago, uh, after a boat ride on the River Seine, um, my husband, well, my boyfriend at the time, proposed to me right oh, after being wow. on the River Seine. So it is a, it is a wonderful place in my, at, at, our, at the Machado Shulman household. Oh, very cool. Yeah, I mean, you know, getting proposed to in Central Paris, hard to oh, beat yes, that, right? Yes, how cliche, but so beautiful at the same time. I proposed to Becky on the uh, one day. I'll tell you the story about our proposal, but I proposed to her on the Brooklyn Bridge, and there was like a homeless guy next to us, like screaming. It wasn't nearly as. Uh, <laughs> that actually, I mean, to be honest, nearly, I would rather. Yeah. I would almost kind of like that, just because the story <laughs> is so good. It was yeah, it's a very New York story. Okay, guys, we're we're going over. I apologize for that. That's what you need to know for Tuesday, December 14, and we will see you tomorrow.